Good morning, friends. Uh, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. As we enter into this season that we call Lent, we acknowledge that we are dependent on God for our very lives. And that it is God who is the ultimate sustainer of life. And we were going to embody that in a way uh, at the end of this service uh, in the form of communion. And so for those of you that might be worshiping with us online, we want to make sure that you are aware of that so that you might make ready uh, your elements. On Wednesday evening, uh, Emily shared a sermon in contrasting two different paths, uh, two different paths that seem to be uh, evident throughout Scripture. And one way is in uh, the Psalm 52, when David contrasts the path of his enemy with the path of life. He says uh, of his enemy's path, a man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and became great by destroying others, contrasting that with the faithful path when he says, I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For you, O oh God, have done good things, and I will always praise you in the presence of the faithful. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Let us come to God acknowledging his goodness and also our neediness uh, for his love and grace. Let's stand and sing. Jesus, friend. 
You may be seated. As Pastor Nate mentioned, we are in the season of Lent, and it began this past Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. So today is the first of six Sundays of Lent. And the theme of our Lenten worship series, as we continue in the Gospel of John, is Come and See. You'll notice you have a new bulletin cover that says Come and See. As pastors uh, Ross and Nate and I were kind of talking about this series and knowing that it's been a common practice of Christians for centuries to give up something during Lent to increase their dependence upon God, um, we've wondered about that practice, about the invitation to come and see, and about prayers of confession that are a regular part of our worship service. We've wondered about how letting go of certain things might be like removing a cloudy film from a blurry image. We've imagined how maybe turning away from harmful or just excessive practices that maybe are in and of themselves not bad could clear what clutters our vision of Jesus. And so each week, our prayer of confession in our worship services will center around one particular thing that we're inviting you, whether you've chosen to give up something for Lent for the whole season or not, maybe just to try on for a week and see what that might do. We've got a companion devotional um, that has been authored by several people in our congregation and with some devotional thoughts for you to use as you journal. It's called Less is More. Um, we invite you to use this as a companion. But for this moment in our worship and as we enter into our prayer of confession, invite you to use the word on the screen, the image on the screen, to help your imagination be spurred on how what might be clouding your vision of Jesus. Let's pray together using the words on the screen. O oh Lord, you desire truth in our inward being. Teach us wisdom in our deepest heart. Come to us with your light. Come to us with your truth. Jesus, in your light and in your truth this morning, we admit that our sense of your presence is far too often clouded by the hurried pace of our daily lives. Many of us routinely say how busy we are. We complain that there is not enough time or space in our lives. And if we are honest, sometimes this is exactly how we like it. Our calendars filled to their max while we attempt to squeeze in a few more things for good measure as if we are competing for some sort of award that proves how indispensable we are to the people and projects around us. Oh God, sometimes our hurried pace throughout the day feels unavoidable. Sometimes we are overburdened and don't know how to slow down or what the repercussions will be if we try. We are run by our to-do lists, our appointments and meetings, our communications, our homework, our errands and our commutes, our household tasks, we have relationships that need tending, and some of us are in the midst of labor-intensive years raising young children or caring for aging parents or family members that have chronic health conditions. We are afraid of missing out or of disappointing others. Other times, oh God, when there is margin in our days, we seek the hurried pace to scratch the itch of our restlessness. We confess that sometimes we feel guilty or afraid if our calendar is more open than usual. And we wonder if we are doing enough for those we love, for the world, for you. But deep down, you whisper to us that we know better. We acknowledge, as St. Augustine said, in a time maybe not so different from our own, that our hearts are and will always be restless until they rest in you. And so, Heavenly Father, we confess that our hurried lives have kept us from seeing you, from seeing that you are here in our midst and in each moment. We believe that your name is spoken in the very inhale and exhale of the breath of our lungs, that your character is revealed in the fabric of creation, and that your image can be seen in the human beings we rush past or over on our conquest for more. God, our souls need to slow down long enough to truly encounter you. We want to say, full of awe with our ancestor Jacob, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not even aware of it. Help us to let go of our hurry, our multitasking, our rushing from one thing to the next, and the absent-mindedness that results. Help us to be present to your presence in each moment of our days. Help our hearts to hear you inviting us into something beyond busyness. 
Show us the difference between that which is simply urgent and that which is eternally important. We ask for your strength to respond with a yes to your invitation, even when it means saying no to something else. We pray that we will daily be drawn to the friendship and conversation with you, Jesus, that alone can satisfy our deepest longings. And we ask that even when we are afraid of how it will all possibly work out, that we will follow and obey your promptings to eliminate hurry and to notice and trust where you are powerfully at work for the sake of your kingdom on earth and that you alone would be worshiped and adored. We continue with the words on the screen. O oh Lord, you desire truth in our inward being. Teach us wisdom in our deepest heart. Come to us with your light. Come to us with your truth, so we may come to you and see. Invite you to continue joining us in worship by singing with us in this next song, if you are comfortable with it.
Well, good morning, Fellowship Church. It is good to be with you this morning. If you are new or visiting with us this morning, I hope that you have experienced the very words of that song, that you can come as you are here at Fellowship Church. My name is Nate Skipper, and as a community, we seek to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you want to learn more about what God is doing in and through the ministry here, uh, I encourage you to talk to one of the pastors uh, or or someone uh, with a name tag after the service. It is the Lenten season, as we've uh, said explicitly a couple times, but on Sundays, it's actually Resurrection Day, so we get a break from our 40-day fast on Resurrection Day. It's a time to to give God thanks uh, for his goodness, uh, to celebrate that we know the end of the story, Um, and it's a time to maybe even celebrate some of the ways in which we as a community have lived into our mission statement in kind of unique ways in the last couple weeks. So we're going to do that this morning. And we're going to do that in the way that my grandfather, who was a football coach, used to do it after the football game. He'd have a little litany that he did back and forth with his team after they uh, played a game. And he would say something like, you know, great job team for all the hard work. Hip, hip. And then the team would say... You got it. So here we go. Are you ready? We'll practice one on the first one. For the great weather that we were able to experience yesterday and the promise of spring and new life that will soon be with us. Hip, hip. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. For last night and the youth uh, fundraising auction that some of us got to participate in for a fellowship around tables, but more importantly for funds that were raised so that people and kids could go to camp this summer or to uh, on a mission trip this summer, we say hip, hip. Come on for Wednesday afternoon, evening, when we gathered as a community to kick off this Lenten journey for a time uh, set aside uh, as a church to focus on God and what God is up to in our lives and inviting his unique presence with us. We say hip, hip. For a week ago, when we had like 30-plus middle schoolers hanging out here overnight and then going around town doing a little uh, uh, expedition downtown uh, for their joy and for the chance to grow in their faith, we say hip, hip. For meaningful times to serve and for the way, multiple ways in which Fellowship Church serves in our community, but a couple weeks ago for Habitat for Humanity and the chance to do that with some people from Fellowship, we say hip, hip. And finally, for next Sunday, that's coming up soon, when we get a chance to meet our final candidate and hear her preach, we say hip, hip. Come on, next week, be here or be square, uh, because she will be here uh, to preach. We're letting her share with her congregation this morning uh, that she is the final candidate here at Fellowship Church. You will be introduced to her uh, in the mail this week, you know, in the old school one that, you know, paper. Uh, It'll come in the mail with her name, a little bio, and you'll get to meet our final candidate. We are so excited. We do uh, certainly celebrate God's goodness in our lives and in this world. Uh, But as a community, we also mourn uh, when our brothers and sisters mourn. And we know that there's a lot of stuff going on in our world and in our own lives. Uh, But this morning, we are particularly uh, mindful of Anna Bruchart's family and friends uh, as she passed away at the end of last week. Uh, We give thanks for her life, and we will celebrate that tomorrow. This didn't get a chance to get in the bulletin. Uh, at her uh, visitation at 11.30 in the morning and then a funeral at 12.30 in the afternoon tomorrow. So if you'd like to join us for that, we will uh, be gathered here. In all these ways, we uh, acknowledge uh, God's generous love uh, that he bestows upon us. Uh, and his goodness. And one way in which we acknowledge God's goodness and bounty in our lives is we give back uh, to what we believe, give back to God what we believe already belongs to God in the form of our tithes and offerings. So there's places to do that at the back of the sanctuary and also online. Let's stand and sing of God's goodness together. And our kids are dismissed at this time too, to um, kids three years through eighth grade in this service. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. 
Friends, I invite you now to hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love, John chapter 11, which has 57 verses in it. So I'm going to read about half of them with you today. Hear these words from the good book, where it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
Where have you laid him? He said, Come and see, Lord, they replied. In verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said also, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. I love that line in the King James Version. The KJV says, he stinketh. <laughs> Sometimes we stinketh. Verse 43. Then Jesus called out in a loud voice, loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks be to God. Well, today in that story, and as we begin our Lenten journey together, I hope you'll notice with me that when we heed the call to come and see Jesus, we find at least three things. We find first, a community that cares. We find second, a Christ who cries. And we find third, a life that never, never dies. Sounds like Peter Pan there, but that's actually the way that it is in the original Greek, a double negative, a life that never, never dies. I want to take a look at these one at a time with you this morning, starting with the first that struck me perhaps the most this week, and I hope you caught it already too. The story takes place in the context of a community that cares. You heard it in verse 3. As the sisters send word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. You hear it in verse 6 when the narrator tells us that Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. And you hear it yet again in verse 36 when the onlookers, the crowd nearby, sees the way of Jesus and says, see how he loved him. All three of these references are personal. They're not generic, and it ends up being a double use of the Greek words for love, two of the most prominent ones we have here on the screen. The first and the third are philia, which is friend love. It's where we get the city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It is friend affection, people you know and love and even like, right? Philia. And then the other, the middle reference, is the word agape, the big word for love in the Bible, the highest form of love, God's love that is sacrificial, unbreakable, a kind of covenant love. Taken together and said so specifically about these three people with Jesus, we have clear evidence of an authentic community, a kind of true belonging that's not just generic, it's personal. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were Jesus' special friends, if you will. They were his safe people, and their house was even his safe place. He went there often throughout the Gospels. And we know, actually, from the other stories of Jesus that, that Jesus was often out in the countryside. He was an itinerant preacher. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to lay down his head. We know also that up in Nazareth, which is Jesus' own hometown, he also wasn't necessarily welcome there. In his own words, a prophet is not welcome in their own hometown. Even in the big city center, Jerusalem, the religious center of the world, where the Messiah surely should be welcomed, right? He wasn't there either. That was a place of hostility for him. At best, he would encounter controversies and arguments in the great city of Jerusalem. At worst, they would seek to stone him, and they eventually would kill him. Meanwhile, 
a mere two miles outside of this hostile center of Jerusalem was a place called Bethany, which was the hometown of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And these were indeed his community that cares. They were his safe people and his safe place. And to be clear, this is not just a nice story in the Bible. It's actually real history. In fact, we have found these places. So those of us out there who might sometimes picture Jesus as this kind of walking deity who wasn't actually a real person with real feelings and real friends, notice that archaeologists have actually found the ancient ruins of Bethany and even a tomb of Lazarus. In 1863, they discovered an ossuary that included all three of these people's names together, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's the real setting of the story, if you will, and I think it puts all the more flesh and blood on it for us. This was Jesus' community that cares. I hope you notice also in the story of this community that cares, they're not afraid to be real with one another. And that's because they love one another. You heard at the very beginning where it talks of how they give each other really good gifts. Mary was the one who spent a year's wages on a bottle of perfume and then poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. That's a great act of generosity and honoring, and Jesus receives it. It's that kind of community. They're a diverse community. Perhaps you've heard the uh, typologies described. Mary and Martha are polar opposites, really. They were totally different persons. One was an extrovert, the other an introvert. One of them was contemplative, the other was continually active. They act differently in the story and even this one. When Luke tells the story, the more famous one that maybe you know a little better, it's Mary, the one who is at the feet of Jesus. She's the hero. In this story, it's Martha. Martha is the kind of exemplary one in the John story, and you'll notice that both are loved and faced by Jesus. I hope you notice also in the story that they're not afraid to share their hurts, and they do so directly to Jesus, face to face. Both sisters say at different times, they come to him and say, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. That's honest. That's deep. And they bring it right to him. They also hold the faith together. Mary and Martha are believers, if you will. They bring their hurts and their troubles to Jesus, and they are the ones who voice those very words, I believe that you are the Son of God the Messiah. They hold the faith together. All of this has got me wondering, I hope you too, who are your people? Who's your community that cares? Who are the ones who know your true heart, your hopes, your fears, your loves? At whose house can you go and raid the fridge without even asking? <laughs> whose couch can you fall asleep on other than your own in your sweatpants? and not feel weird about it? Who are the people who know the real you, the ones with whom you can let your guard down and know that you will be loved anyways? That's the context of this story today. Jesus had real friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were his people, and he was their person. In his life on earth, Jesus was about this kind of business, forming a beautiful community of beloved acceptance, a community that cares beyond the hostilities of the world. And now, even after his death and resurrection, as he reigns on the throne as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he is still about that very business, calling out churches like Fellowship Church to be, yet again, places of authentic community, true belonging, communities that care. That's the first thing I hope you notice when you see this story of Jesus that we find when we come and see him, we find a community that cares. But that's not all, of course. We find also a Christ who cries. A Christ who cries. You heard it in the text. In verse 33, Jesus is described as being deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In verse 35, we have the shortest verse in the entire Bible, many people's memory favorite. Jesus wept. A deep, deep verse. 
And then again, in verse 38, Jesus is described as once more deeply moved as he came to the tomb of his dear friend, Lazarus. Jesus' emotional response in this text has me wondering, what moves you? When's the last time you cried? What kind of stuff makes you cry? I know sometimes we cry tears of joy at the birth of a baby or perhaps when playing games with friends, we might laugh so hard that we cry. I know I've shed tears over my own failures, my own shortcomings, especially when they hurt others, particularly when I've kept quiet like a coward when I could have, should have spoken up. Certainly we cry at the death of loved ones, I'll never forget the sound of my wife's tears. Years ago, we were in Dimnit Chapel. She was my girlfriend at that time, but that's when we learned the sudden news that Grandpa Max Borsma had passed. The sound of her weeping echoed through that Gothic chapel. At other times, I've remembered absolutely blubbering through the funerals of someone especially when I was officially participating in it. Sometimes we cry over the injustices in the world, bad things that happen that, boy, they shouldn't. Or when good things are left undone when they surely should be done by someone, somehow. I've seen tears in the eyes of some of you this week. On behalf of others, and particularly as you named the deep and ugly truth that Secrets make us sick. Secrets make us sick. I've cried tears, and I know you have too, on behalf of this beloved community as we, safe, as we face really hard news from a doctor, as we look towards surgery tomorrow, as we're aware of medical unfixables. I made up that term, but I think you know what I mean if you've ever faced one. So what do you cry about? John 11 is one of the two stories in scriptures where Jesus cries. And the word that is actually used to describe his tears is utterly fascinating. I put it up on the screen. It's a true mouthful, okay? The word is embrimaomai. Embrimaomai, a unique Greek word that only occurs occasionally. It's typically translated in the text as deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus is described as that way twice in this story today. It appears only three times in the Bible altogether, and almost every time it describes a certain kind of sternness, a kind of indignation, almost to the point of anger. And one of the most literal translations of it in the yellow there is to snort like a horse. <clears throat> you try it. <clears throat> it's kind of funny, kind of fun to do, right? It's what a horse would do when it senses something spooky nearby or when it's ready to go into battle. And in a less funny way, it is precisely what Jesus, the Christ, the one who is the resurrection and the life. It's what he does when he encounters death in this world, especially the death of a friend or anything else that doesn't belong in God's good world. He says, <clears throat> now why does this matter? Well, I think it matters because in Jesus Christ, we see the fullness of God revealed. It was Aristotle, sometime just before Jesus, who started to describe the gods as unmoved movers, powerful but distant, and definitely uncaring, passionless. Some people today still think of God that way, somewhere out there, aloof from the real concerns of the world. But boy, oh boy, is that not so, especially if Jesus is God in the flesh. It's clear Jesus is not an unmoved mover. Jesus is clearly moved. He weeps with his friends, and when he comes face to face with death in this world in particular, he snorts like a horse. <clears throat> Some stuff just doesn't belong in the world. He cries because he cares, 
and he's moved to action. That which is broken must be fixed. I got an email this week on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday of all days. It was from an RCA missionary and a Wycliffe Bible translator giving a real-time update from Ukraine. The message said this, update in haste. Yesterday and today in multiple cities, heavy bombing. The enemy is attacking civilian housing in order to stir up terror. There's lots of victims. Food is lacking. Electricity is out. Medicine, difficult to get. Please pray. It went on to say that in Kiev, as we speak, on that day Wednesday, all church leaders were headed to St. Sophia Cathedral in order to pray together Psalm 31, knowing that it too might be bombed. In response to news like this, what does the community that cares, what does the Christ who cries say, except, this should not be. Honestly, I don't know what to do about this. Of course I don't know what to do about this, except perhaps to take a note from the book of Mary and Martha who go to Jesus with their worries and say, Lord, the, the one you love is sick. Lord, the world you love is sick. They don't get all fancy in their words about what Jesus could and should do, giving him ideas. They simply present the problem. They don't build a case of how Jesus should do this or that because of their great love for him or because they deserve it. They build their case on his love for the friend, Lazarus. Lord, this world you love is sick. We have a sin problem. We have a death problem. And it is good and right and true for Jesus to cry and snort like a horse about it. I don't know what Jesus the Christ will do about it, cosmically. I don't know what ways he will use to move his church to do something about it here and now. I don't know if he will do these great things now or later, but I do know that he will do surprisingly great things because that is what he does. And it's what he does in this old story of Lazarus too. Those who come and see Jesus find not only a community that cares, they find not only a Christ who cries, they find also a life that never, never dies. You heard it in the text, the very words of Jesus. He says it in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life, he says. In verse 26, he goes on and says that anyone who believes in me will never, never die. And then in verse 43, Jesus overrules death itself by saying to a man that who is four days dead and he stinketh, Lazarus, come out. What's at stake in these words of Jesus is nothing less than life itself. Another one of the great words in the Bible. I've got them up here on the screen for you again. Two words, bios and zoe. Bios is the basic word for life. It's mere existence. Bios is the word from which we get the term biology, which is the study of living organisms. If you're alive, you have bios, okay? The other word is zoe. Zoe also means life, but it is of a different kind, a higher quality. It is life in the absolute sense. It's God's life. It's life fully alive. It's the life of God in us. Zoe doesn't exclude bios. It just makes it worth living. It makes it real and lasting. Anybody know a person named Zoe? Yeah, it's a great name. Anybody have a friend named bios? (laughs) No, probably not. Bios isn't bad. Zoe is just definitely an upgrade. And in this text, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's actually talking about both. Just like we say in the Apostles' Creed, when we say it together, I believe in the resurrection of the body, 
bios and in the life everlasting, zoe. And this, friends, is hope. The fruit of Jesus snorting against the death of his dear friends is that he will triumph over each and every tomb with a life that never, never dies. When I think of all that Jesus is up to in this ancient text and even in our lives today, what comes to mind for me is a great children's book called The Velveteen Rabbit. Perhaps you're familiar. It's the story of a boy and his various toys. So in his toy place, he has some basic toys like a velveteen rabbit and an old skin horse. But he also has some of the newer, fancier ones. Trains and fire trucks and sailboats and stuff. Things with lights and switches. But all of these toys are ultimately hoping for one ultimate thing. They want to be real. They don't want to be fake. They want to be real. And on one day, the velveteen rabbit was feeling particularly down, so he turned to the old skin horse and asked a question. What is real? asked the rabbit one day while they were waiting for Nana to come and tidy up the room. Does it mean, have thing, does it mean having things that buzz inside you or a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you're made, said the old skin horse, speaking of bios. It's a thing that happens to you, he said, Zoe. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt, asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the old skin horse, for he was always truthful. But when you're real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily or who have sharp edges or who must be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off. Your eyes drop out. You get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you are real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. I suppose you are real, asked the rabbit, and the skin horse smiled. He said, the boy's papa made me real. That was a great many years ago, but once you are real, you can't become unreal again. It lasts for always. That, friends, is what I think is put on display in John chapter 11. And it is what we find when we come and see Jesus. We find a community that cares. We find a Christ who cries. And we find a life that never, never dies. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand and we'll join our voices together singing, Jesus, what a friend for sinners.
seated. We traditionally say that we come to this table that we are going to partake from this morning in remembrance, in communion, and in hope. And it occurs to me that that lines up pretty well with Pastor Ross's message. We come to remember a Christ who weeps, a Christ who cried for Lazarus and for his friends, but also a Christ who shed tears of blood in preparing for uh, his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection three days later. We come in remembrance. We also come in communion, uh, to have communion, yes, with God first and foremost, but also in the context of a community that cares with those that are gathered here uh, in this space uh, at Fellowship Church on this Sunday morning and with those gathered online, but also with the whole church worldwide and throughout the ages. We come in communion with a community that cares. We also come in hope that this life that we are experiencing in the bio sense is uh, just a a foretaste of the zoe, the everlasting life we get taste of on on earth here, but also that we will one day uh, experience in its fullness. We come to this table in remembrance, in communion, and in hope. And this morning, we are going to come to this table in a little bit of a unique way. We are going to do that through word and song and prayer, all kind of mixed in. So you can just follow along with the the words on the screen, and if you mess up, you know, you'll just be messing up with us. Uh, But follow Jess if you need some guidance uh, for this part. (laughs) My friends, if you uh, would like some of the elements and like to take part uh, in this at the end of this whole thing, uh, I'd encourage you to raise your hand and one of the elders will get your elements for us at the end. All those who love God and are learning to follow Jesus are welcome to this table. Friends, please join me in the words on the screen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right for us to give thanks and praise. It is our joy and our peace at all all times and in all places to give thanks to you, Holy Father, almighty everlasting God, through Christ our Lord. continual love and care for every living creature. We praise you for forming us in your image and calling us to be your people. Above all, we thank you for sending Jesus, your son, to deliver us from the way of sin and death by the obedience of his life, by his suffering upon the cross, and by his resurrection from the dead. We praise you that he now reigns with you in glory and ever lives to pray for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who leads us into truth defends us in in adversity, and out of every people unites us into one holy church. We give thanks to God, the Father, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, before he suffered, gave us this table as a memory of his gifts to us. And now we we remember together that on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples, and after having given thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. In the same way, after they had supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. My friends, the bread which we break and the cup which we bless are to us the communion of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ.
in the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you, O God, as holy and living sacrifices. Together we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Grant that being joined together in him and grow up in all things into Christ our Lord. And as these grains have been gathered from many fields into one loaf and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered it's from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come Lord Jesus. of Christ given for you. Take, eat, remember, and believe. The cup of blessing which we bless is our communion with the blood of Jesus Christ. Take and drink. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. As we go from this place, we are going to teach you a very simple song that is a blessing. It is a benediction. We want you to sing it to one another. Um, so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to invite y'all on this side to face this kind of at this halfway point, face these people, and y'all on these sides to face that way. We'll face one another, and we will speak this blessing over one another. I will sing one line, and the one that you will echo that the rest of the band will lead you in will be the exact same line. So it's just an echo. Um, so you'll get the words, and you'll get the music ahead of time. So <laughs> just follow along. Um, but these words are pretty special um, because they were words that the Lord spoke to Moses and he gave them to Moses to specifically give to Aaron and his sons. They were the Levites and the priests. And Aaron and his sons were meant to speak them over the Israelites. My friends, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. Would you stand and would you face one another and let's sing this blessing over one another.
friends, you may go in peace.